random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And joining us on the other end of the tin cannon string, we are welcoming back comic creator as well as showrunner of the show Modoc. We are joined with Jordan Bloom. Jordan, good evening. Thank you for having me back. Excited to talk to you guys. Now, since you have spoken with us, a lot of stuff has happened, but one of which, you have a new funny book coming. You had previously the MODOK Head Games Mini over at Marvel Comics, but now you guys are doing your own creator-owned comic over at Dark Horse. How'd that come about? Um, so that came about... Um, Patton had been writing um, a few books. He did uh, one of the, the uh, Dark Hammer... Um, or Black Hammer, I'm sorry, um, books for Dark Horse uh, in the anthology and came friendly with our, our editor, um, Daniel Schmann, and uh, had kind of asked, you know, do you have any original ideas? And Pat and I had talked about this one idea for kind of quite some time. We had both separately been developing stories about viewers, uh criminals, uh, supervillains. So we kind of put our idea together and uh, brought it back to Daniel and, and pitched him the book and we brought Scott in from uh, Scott Hepburn as our artist from Modoc Head Games and uh, kind of reunited the band and, and launched our first creator-owned book. And uh, it's been fun. I feel like I've been kind of training for it. I've done some more stuff for Marvel. Um, I did the Spider-Bots uh, Infinity book for their app and I have a few other kind of things in the pipeline with Marvel uh, coming out. So it was like, you know, we got our sea legs writing other books and then it was time to, to take a crack at our own thing. Now, with the title of Dark Horses, Minor Threats, first of all, we got to get the, get it out of the way. It is not in relation to the straight-edge band Minor Threat, correct? No, we have an extra S that they never had uh, at the end because it's Minor Threats, not Minor Threat. And, uh, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we had a couple different titles for it originally. Uh, I think Bottom Feeders was one, and then we kind of landed on on Minor Threats, and it felt so, so right for what the book is about, which is that it is not about the A-list. Uh, uh, supervillains of this world, but, you know, the, the kind of guys who are lifers, who, you know, put on the costume, whether it be a rhino costume or a snake costume, whatever, they get their cold gun and, and rob, you know, the jewelry stores so that they can pay their alimony and uh, grab a beer at the end of the day. You know, these are kind of like the blue-collar criminals, similar to Flash's rogues or some of, you know, Spidey's uh, kind of, lesser-known uh, villains to kind of hang out the the bar with no, no name. So we wanted to investigate that world, uh, especially because we love crime fiction so much, and kind of do a story, you know, that felt like a, a Coen Brothers, Fargo-esque thing, but set in this world where, you know, our, our guys decide to go after an A-list uh, supervillain after he's, he's taken the city hostage, so to speak, and there's a bounty on his head, and this is their way out. So it's these kind of lower grunts uh, punching outside their weight class, uh, 
going after a much deadlier uh, supervillain to kind of uh, get rich and get out. Now, with uh, in relation, though, to the band Minor Threat, the uh, lead singer of the group has a Coca-Cola tattoo, with the reason being he just really likes Coca-Cola. The straight-edge wrestler CM Punk has a Pepsi tattoo because he just really likes Pepsi. Now, for yourself, what soda brand would you represent, and why is it RC Cola and or Shasta? Oh, I do love RC Cola. I do feel like uh, it's underappreciated. Uh, but I would, I'm a root beer guy, so I would probably go... Barks or A&W or something like that uh, to represent the uh, the root beer world. See, I'm, I've been on a very big uh, root beer binge lately, and yes, I'm in complete agreement with you on that, especially the A&W. Yes. Boy, you guys. I, I would have to go 7-Up the Uncola. <laughs> <laughs> so there. Oh, I, I was hoping you'd go with Dr. Pepper. I'm sure. Wouldn't you like to be? I would. Pepper Potts. Mm-hmm. I thought oh, of Spider-Man's oh, Spider little, uh, some minor villain. And I went with Rocket Racer and the Big Wheel. Love those characters. Somewhere. I think what's fun about all those guys is that they were created during most a lot of them Silver Age, Bronze Age. So they were only kind of meant to be, you know, a one-off villain. And then Marvel was always good about kind of creating a community for these guys, these losers. And I think when we were making this book, we really wanted to be like, well, you know, where do these guys go and, and how do they sustain this life? I'm like, what kind of tragedy leads you to, to kind of pick this gimmick and run with it and constantly get beat up and in and out of jail and barely making ends meet? I think there's, there's a real tragedy to these guys. And it's fun, too, because when you see these characters, you also, like, I love that they end up getting massive fandoms for them, like, down the line, like Kite Man over at the Distinguished Competition yeah. is a popular character in a roundabout way. It's like, you know, thanks to Tom King with Kite Man. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have, they have to have the humor built into it, right? Because it's like, this is a guy, you know, with Kite Man. I'm going to pick up, I'm, kites are my gimmick. I'm committed to this. I can only do one kind of crime, you know, which is flying high up and pooping and steal jewels out of, you know, penthouses. Uh, that's all I can do, and... I'm literally going to dedicate the rest of my life to it. And I think, you know, that's what's so fun about these characters is there's this inherent comedy to the, the villain who commits to the gimmick. The fact Condiment King never really went over to uh, Sriracha makes me appreciate him. I'm, I'm not a Sriracha kind of person at all. Yeah, that's the dark and gritty reboot. <laughs> the Vertigo version. <laughs> yeah. Or Young Animals. Tough to find, but worth the search. I don't know. Now, also in regards to uh, just a lot of the uh, the the word I want to use is dud, to be honest, because like the, those lesser, you know, the the D list, even Z list kind of characters, there's something fun about them. And for yourself, who is your go to one that whenever you think of those type of villains, that's the one you gravitate towards as your favorite, the best of the worst? Yeah, well, with Marvel, I, I love the Wrecking Crew. Uh, which I think are going to show up in She-Hulk. Uh, after I saw that trailer, I think someone pointed out that there's uh, some, some Asgardian uh, uh, crowbars and stuff. But um, I like, again, that those guys were just construction worker friends who got some tech, you know, magic, or magic, I should say, not tech. And, uh, and we're like, look, let's just let's get out of this uh, construction racket and go rob some banks. Uh, um, so I... I don't know. I love those guys. I'm trying to think of other other Marvel ones that uh, you know. I feel like Spider-Man probably has the best of that group. 
Odd Man's great, you know. Um, uh, Armadillo is probably my favorite. We, did, we oh, wrote sh- him on on uh, Modoc, and uh, you know, it's a guy who to make ends meet, to, to to save his dying wife, I think actually was like goes through this experiment, turn get turned into an armadillo, and then I think she's cheating on him or something. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Uh, but then that guy's just stuck as an armadillo for the rest of his life and, uh, you know, commits the, the, the petty crime. And when you have, you know, an animal like that, you got to, like, decide whether or not it can be a villain. And it got me thinking, the capybara, the beautiful rodent that is uh, in our planet, in our world, would you have the capybara be a villain or a hero? It's got to be a hero. Um, I, I think you, you, I would do a where capybara that bites people and turns them into wear capybara so you it's you don't have to just be a wolf you can be aware of anything you can be a wear fish you know it's just a curse right that turns you into an animal so i would do wear 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 capybara uh breakout and obviously it's a, a hero because everyone wants to be a capybara yeah you just see you know, horrible you're not really threatening people and just you know like sitting in a big thing of like uh oranges you ever see that? That's one of the my. That's like the most chill, relaxing thing I've ever seen. It's like you know, a little spot with just some oranges inside. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> but now, in regards to the work on minor threats, mm. how, you know, seeing those kind of characters. And by the way, getting back to teaming with uh, Hepburn, yeah. what what was the pitch to him? Just like we want you on this. How'd that come about? Well, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, we we he came in very early into the discussions, and um, we know he loves these kind of characters too. And having worked with him, you can kind of you know what he likes to draw, and you know what his strengths are. So we really wrote the story to that. And I think you know Scott obviously contributed a ton to character ideas, obviously designs and everything. But the big thing that I love that we talked about was you know we're creating our own city to set this in. This is in, in Twilight City and specifically in kind of the bad area of town that the superheroes uh, don't really bother with. Um, so the villains love to live there. And, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of talked about, like, what does a city look like after it's endured 60 years of superhero continuity? So we started coming up with all these fun concepts, like, oh, you know, they, they fought a kaiju over here, but since they don't really care about this side of town, they just left it, and now bones are there, and people just built housing around it, and um, or you know over there, the the you know uh, EDA is trying to close a, a time bubble that was left over from a supervillain fight that you know you go through there and time moves differently. <laughs> like uh, we really wanted the the city to feel like it 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 gone through it, but life continues, you know, as it does in most cities, no matter what happens. So. Um, that was like a big thing. So Scott really designed this this world, and, and it, it influenced that our story is really set over kind of 48 hours, and it's got this warriors sort of survive the night um, kind of pacing and, and tone to it, where these characters are, are venturing out on a night where the superheroes are cracking down. Everyone's trying to find this, this A-list villain, the stick man, and our guys are going to find him first, uh, and, but they have to make it through this this city and you know on the worst night possible for supervillains so um you know we even have maps and things within in the issues and the, the city really started to become a character and it became not just you know getting from point a to point b but what they would encounter along the way and what this what this world looks like and scott was, was great with that now in regards to you know you say it's kind of like the warriors in a way 
if there was a soundtrack for this, what member of the Eagles would you have compose a song for it? Because Don or Eddie was Don Felder on the soundtrack for the Warriors. One of the guys was Joe Walsh. Sang, Joe Walsh. Yes, there we go. Sang on the lead Joe of uh, In the City. Yeah. So which member of the well, uh, Eagles? You probably want to capture that vibe, but I'm trying to think. Like, I would go personally. I would just go full synth on this one if we and do like a Tangerine Dream. Oh, oh, Tangerine Dream. Like wow. That. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I don't think I've seen. If I did, I forgot what it was about. But there was a movie that the soundtrack was like so perfect. Sorcerer, I think it was called. Yes. Mm-hmm. They did Sorcerer. Uh, Thief, I, I think they did. I, I just watched the other night. Some of those Michael, early Michael Mann movies. Okay. Uh, amazing. I just knew it from the music, and it was like a, such a Halloween vibe a good friend of mine had used for production pieces and you know just to set the tone, and it did. It was really, really cool. But what is, in fact, yeah. speaking of that favorite H holiday that I like, uh, Halloween is that the I thought you were super- an Arbor Day man. No, is that the supervillain's worst night? Because so many people are dressed up as superheroes. I've just never to, thought just, of that. Just a shot. I mean, I don't know. It's probably easier to get away, right? Uh, well, like, how can you tell who's a villain, who's not? So then, it's not uh, the worst. So it's probably the best night for a supervillain. I got a comic a idea. idea. You might steal that. No, no yeah. well, not <laughs> if I beat Halloween you. <laughs> <night>. Yeah. <laughs> oh uh-huh. man, I like that idea. That's actually. Holy crap, Eddie. I did not think of that. Is the worst night for a supervillain the, the day that there's the most daylight? Eddie, I, I don't know. <laughs> Eddie, how long have you had that in your back pocket? Because that's I, a really good story idea. just came up now, I suppose. Wow. I'm just Here you go. All right. Well, don't sue me if I use it. Great. <laughs> so I'll have to say in advance, you're welcome. <laughs> and I'll take the advance, too. <laughs> I don't know. And by the way, you, you mentioned the whole uh, thing with uh, the the kind of like you would have a synth soundtrack like kind of a uh, very much like a uh, Tangerine Dream. I'm looking at the logo to Minor Threats and like the color scheme alone screams 1980s. Yeah, well that's that's something we talked about where there's a little bit of kind of meta narrative to the, the book in that like I said these guys were probably mostly created in the Silver Age Bronze Age yeah. and they're sort of being dragged into the modern age, which is much darker, and the world is changing around them. And they're sort of relics, you know, from this more innocent time uh, in comics. And, you know, Pat and I talked about how weird it would have been where, like, you know, Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen or something like that comes out, and you're, uh, you know, the kangaroo, and you're like, wow, like, you know, the Punisher's just killing all my friends now. <laughs> like, what happened? We used to just kind of go out, and it used to be this innocent thing, and people were getting their bones broken, and, and you know, Craven just buried Spider-Man and made him eat spiders. Like, <sighs> things are weird now. Uh, and so there's kind of that going along where, like, the world is, is drastically changing, and it's not the, the bright, shiny days. And there's our flashbacks and, and our colorist Ian Herring has colored them differently so that they do feel like a lost era that the good old days were and now you know Kenny's character survives in the modern age of comics this show is brought to you by our Patreon go to patreon.com slash the marvelists and on the three dollar tier you'll get access to episodes early and ad free five dollar tier gets you our two bonus shows one Fantastic Voyage, 
where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues, one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier, pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice. Or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. And it, it's funny, too, because you mentioned, you know, uh, with that era of, like, characters. Like, I'm as I'm going through my uh, read-through of Spider-Man, I'm up to... Uh, I'm up to like 1989 and I'm seeing like spectacular Spider-Man and web of Spider-Man. They're pushed to the side in favor of, you know, amazing because amazing is the A-list title on there. Literally. And it's got, you know, uh, toward Mephorlinf, you know, going around going, and also just, you know, these A-list kind of villains and characters. And meanwhile, spectacular is pushed to the side. Uh, Web of is pushed to the side and it's just whatever you, you know, you see like a character, like a, uh, a D-list kind of character on that title, whereas it's you know not the uh, the top tier ones, and it's like the the Bronze Age and Silver Age kind of characters showing up in those, and they're being relegated to that because they have a Bronze Silver Age creator, you know, in the form of Sabusema. And they're yeah, rel- totally. Yeah, it's so weird to see, and it's like they're relegated to that because you can't put it on the main one. That's where everyone's reading it. And they, they, they're expecting this. You know, they're expecting the, uh, in a post-Dark Knight Watchmen world. Yeah, and I think, like, I love a good dark comic, and I love a, a bright and fun one, but I think comics should always be fun. Um, and I think sometimes people learn the wrong lesson from, uh, you know, some of those, those important books from the 80s that everything was chasing it for a while, you know. And it was like, how do we darken up even spider-man you're probably close to when they launch that mcfarland one yep we're like the lizards eating everyone and wendigo and like that was like a and uh, you know that was like a grittier spider-man book because that's what mcfarland wanted to do and i think everyone was sort of chasing that and i think uh if we got into the last you know 20 years you saw a lot of creators like grant morrison or jason aaron go like i love the sillier crazier things and i can ground this with with humanity and make this count and have weight and be exciting to modern audiences but i also want to embrace you know the zanier aspects of comics and i think we've we tried to do that where a lot of superhero deconstruction and stuff can, can tend to be overly dark and gritty and self-serious and almost like despise its source material whereas i think we wrote a love letter to comics like we love the fun and the bright colors and the insanity, and, you know, we're still telling a story that's questioning things and, and showing different sides of it, but, like, we we still love the craziness of, of what comics are. I just imagine, like, Todd in the 19, early 90s going, yeah, bud, we're going to be able to do, you know, I'm turning into Jesse Ventura <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah, bud, we're going to be going off and doing uh, Scorpion. He's going to stab somebody, as, you know, I do this issue where I homage Spider-Man number one from three issues ago. But... <laughs> He started doing homages uh, for his own books within like a span of like a year. It was insane. I know, and I bought it all. I love it. Love that topic, Spider-Man art. But it's funny too because like I'm going through that era as well, and like 
I love Todd when I was growing up as a kid. I still do. But now, like, I'm, you know, as I'm flipping through in between, like, spectacular, amazing, web of, I'm, like, going, I actually really love Sal Buscema more. I love, you know, uh, Alex uh, Saviuk. How, how do you pronounce yeah. it? Is They're it really underappreciated. And I think people are just starting to come back to the Sal Buscema stuff, especially when he, he was, like, inked by Sienkiewicz. Oh. And, and I think that stuff being rediscovered and being like, wow, this actually was amazing, and we didn't give this enough of a look. Like no, he was doing no, it was the spe- best work of his career. So I think it's it's a reevaluation time for those those artists. No, it wasn't amazing. It was spectacular. You see, right, right. <laughs> swing and a miss, Peter. Swing and a miss. No, it was, it was there. I <laughs> swing, appreciated that. Swing and a thwip. Internally snickered at that. And how about the tarantula? Speaking of spectacular, the first Spider-Man villain in that the beginning of that book. Oh yeah, he was kind of like. Spider-Man's version of Batroc, right? Oh, oh there my you go. God, he is. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And wouldn't you? Well, you wouldn't maybe count it in because he became a good force. And I think the first Hispanic uh, superhero, the White Tiger. Oh, White Tiger mm-hmm. rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's He's great. Yeah. It's funny because, like, again, you know, going through that era and just like experiencing this, and like Saviak though is like one of those. I'm shocked. I did, like I've never heard much about. You know Saviak's work. I, I, again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the, uh, Saviak's name properly, but you're close. I'd, I'd say it's Sav- Saviak. Yeah, he was on Web, right? Or I just yeah. he was a bunch of things I believe in on the because uh, I got an autograph on parallel the lines? parallel lines graphic novel. Yeah, I got to bring that. Oh, with right, me. right. I have to bring well, that with I think me. There's this. There is this reevaluation happening. I'm seeing too. I actually just did a, a Mark Grunewald panel um, with with Bill Sinkovich, uh he was being inducted this year um, at uh, at Comic Con, and um, you know that's another person that I think embraced the fun of comics at a period when like Watchmen was coming out, and that Captain America run. Now you go back and you're like, this is brilliant. Like, he was on it for ten years. You get like Crossbones, Super Sight, all the stuff that's affecting you know the or they used in Winter Soldier, you know the show with Falcon and all that stuff. Like it, it, it's so ahead of its time um and you know was a huge influence on what we did on modok like he created the bar with no name and uh armadillo and all these other kind of characters but he understood that like it was fun to give them a life and 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 get in their heads these characters that you know i think in the bronze age you would have they'd pop up they'd get one line about their origin and then they'd get arrested and that was it and he was like what if these villains unionized and you know, had healthcare and took care of each other with like the Serpent Society, and I don't know. It's, it's another creator that I think you know. Sometimes these these runs uh, were overshadowed by what's kind of flashy or big, and you go back and you're like, wow, these these people were doing things that were so next level, and we need to look at this again and, and think about it in the history of comics. And isn't it funny? There's not a more divisive uh, storyline from that time uh, during uh, Grunwald's run than Cap Wolf. Like, I yeah. love Cap Wolf, and there are people who, like, vilify it. Like, it's one of the worst things to ever happen. It's like, it was a fun, goofy story to the point where, you know, when uh, I think it was Winter Soldier, when Winter Soldier came out, they came out with a line of Marvel Legends figures, that wave based on that movie. That Captain America came with a Cap Wolf head. <laughs> awesome. Mm. Yeah, you know what I think it was? I think, you know, uh, as a comic reader, I think you you wanted people to take the art form more seriously and then you started to take it more you, you you had to defend it so i think people were much more kind of like willing to write off fun 
because they wanted it to be like, no, this is serious. Look what they're doing. Look what Frank Miller's doing. You know, like Alan Moore, this is, this is serious stuff. And I think that's where that came from, where everyone was, was like on the defense as a comic fan, I feel like, in the 80s, 90s. And now it's like, you know, what is there to defend? Every single person loves Marvel. And all the bigger, wackier ideas, like, you know, if we get Guardians and Groot and, you know, Rocket Raccoon, that stuff's being celebrated, and now there, is, there isn't that need anymore to kind of write off the, the sillier things. Like Castle, you can go back and be like, this is fun as hell. This is a great story. We should celebrate this. The fact we're getting a I Am Groot cartoon coming over to uh, the award-winning Disney Plus is mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, every one of these that gets announced, it's just like, what world are we living in? Like, Agatha Harkness has a show, and you're like, what? That's the one I never would have put no. money on, but or Eternals, or I mean, like it's just a, it's such a weird thing where uh, where we are and what's being adapted, you know, that um, the lesser knowns, the Moon Knights and stuff. You're like, this is surreal that these people are having their own shows, but you know, every Marvel character has that potential. I should know. I did a Modoc show. I don't think anyone was <laughs> expecting that, but I think. There was such care put into these these creations, and with the right storytellers, you, you can absolutely, you know, uh, build something out for them. I kind of love, though, now, you know, the popularity of the MODOK show is now leading to MODOK showing up in the MCU, with uh, MODOK appearing in the upcoming uh, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And... I, I... Yeah, more any uh, more MODOK is always welcome MODOK, in my opinion. I'm very excited to see how they how it translates to live action or what it looks like in, in the MCU. It's going to be awesome. I'm telling you right here, right now, but it's a licensing thing. I think we talked about it way ago in a previous episode. And Modoc hats. Might have been with Tom Scholey, actually, that in with Quantumania, I would love to see a hint at the Micronauts. Oh, yeah, that's tough, right? There's some yeah. weird yeah. licensing thing. Like, one of the, like, Bug is part of the Marvel Universe, right, but yeah. the others aren't. Or something. Like, there's a whole weird list of like what you can and can't use. Same thing with ROM. You know, you can't use like Dire Race or something uh, because oh. ROM, they don't have ROM anymore. Or Godzilla. That was one of the best. The ones where like Godzilla just running around the Marvel Universe and J. John Jameson's like yelling at him and shields after him. Yeah. I love yep. all those like 70s, 80s licensed uh, Marvel comics. And I'd be remiss if we don't mention uh, ROM guy Aaron Myers over on Twitter, the uh, number one ROM fan in the entire world. So just wow. shout out to Aaron. Okay. Or his character or, to love. And it's funny too. Uh, Aaron is a, uh, he'll post his uh, comic finds. Like the other day he posted something that was, in my opinion, a main event anywhere in the world. It's a comic. It was issue number two he had, but it was Big Bird versus Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. <laughs> I, I had no idea that existed. Yeah. Now I got to track that down. It is the dumbest cover I've ever seen in my life. It's Muppets in Fear as uh, Big Bird is getting attacked by uh, the Terminator. Again, I love those weird oddity issues. Yeah. Oh, I I own the Joey Botafuco comic. It's pretty great. <laughs> and by great, I mean it is abysmal. It's by he said. It's by uh, he said she said comics. So you can tell uh, they were way ahead of their time, weren't they? It's a classy company. The way we label ourselves now or identify. Excuse me. You could flip the book, and it was uh, the uh, the woman uh, her uh, story too. So that, that's not. Oh, I mean, wow. there's, it's a classic comic gimmick. There's something to be said for the flip comic. I'm not sure what, but you know, Marvel did. What it. What about that yeah. comic? <laughs> in in uh, for I think one example, Marvel Comics presents was one mm -hmm. run in the '90s or so, and you'd go halfway through on one 
version of a ghostwriter story, the other side flip it, a Wolverine story. I enjoy that we found a way to talk about Joey Buttafuoco and then somehow transition it into Marvel Comics Presents. It was a flip. It sure was. <laughs> it sure was. And flip back, if I can, to another. To your, to I'm your stuck uncle, on the, Flip Wilson. I'm Yes, my distant relative. I'm stuck on the uh, Spider-Man subvillains or you know lesser known and the big old gang of three that you really can't take seriously, the Enforcers. Yes. Uh, I hate them Ox, so much. Fancy Dan, and who, yeah. who am I missing? Ox. There were three of them, I believe, right? Ox, Fancy Dan, and one more. I can't remember the last one. And it always annoyed but me that Fancy Dan is the yeah. cowboy. Like, I don't, I don't get it. It's because of the hat. I don't. <laughs> what was it? I love that they've endured. Like, there's plenty of um, Spider-Man villains from like the Ditko Lee era. You know, obviously all the ones. Big ones they created are the biggest ones, and the ones in, in all the movies. But there's a few like forgotten ones, uh, and and I feel like the enforcers have, have continued to endure. So, and Doctor Octopus was never heard from again. <laughs> well, the, the funniest thing is when you look at Doctor Octopus, he does feel like he would be a Z-list villain in a lot of ways, and then you just realize, no, we're just gonna keep running with this guy, and like he ends up becoming an A-list villain for the character. He becomes like. Yeah, it, it's funny because Spider-Man has so many villains. You can't pin down who is his Joker, like his Moriarty. You can't figure out yeah. who it really is because he's got it's so split. many. There's Green it's Goblin. Either, it's yeah. Green Goblin or Doctor Octopus. But I, I, I know there's a huge debate within fans of because everyone loves both of those characters equally. Um, I'm, a, I've always been more of a Doc Ock guy than a, a Norman guy because I think Same. what people forget is like the Green Goblin was out of commission for years. You know, so. Uh, there's a whole generation that grew up where Doc Ock was the guy, and then there's a whole generation that read earlier or later and Green Goblin was the guy. So I think that's why there's such a divide. And then you have, you know, Hobgoblin running around, both versions. Oh, I'm up to the point where there's two of them now, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's my hot take. I think the Hobgoblin's a better design than the Green Goblin. I prefer the Hobgoblin look. The the thing is with the Hobgoblin, it's or not Hobgoblin, with Green Goblin, it is a very corny looking costume you know the whole little uh oh, I'm a, I'm a, he, he looks like the happy tree elves from uh the simpsons that uh mm-hmm. you know lisa and maggie yeah. watch it, like he looks like that kind of well, character where do you think the, the simpsons got the idea from from trolls and elves not <laughs> not green goblin was along before they were yeah and i and I, I think it's more how people draw him recently but there was always like a little too much overlap with like the joker face you know yeah. for me whereas i think that's why like doc ock more is like you know, he's a better foil for Spider-Man, at least physically, too, because, you know, if Spider-Man's this incredible, agile athlete, you know, with Spider-Sense, then he's, you know, having all these arms attacking him at once makes a formidable foe. So I always like that, too, that they were matched well one-on-one. And possibly they're trying to get away from the green and purple formula that corresponds or equates to, at least in some respects, to a villain. And so now we have the orange of the hobgoblin. I don't, or Halloween aspect, perhaps. And then, right. then we have red goblin. Yeah, there's, there's. Oh, I think there's also the black goblin now. I think uh, Zdarsky was the one that introduced uh, black goblin. In some, yeah, it was something. a gold one they just announced. I think oh, it's Norman. There's so, a whole new series that just came out of Comic Con that uh, Christopher Cantwell is writing. That is the golden goblin, but I think it is Norman. Yeesh. See, I'm fine with that name. I don't know why. Like other characters, it's it can be a bit much just adding a color to a character's name. But after a while, like 
for Goblin, that actually makes sense. And it makes it much more menacing kind of character, you know? Yeah, there's a legacy there that uh, haunts Spider-Man. And you also, you also talk about, uh, you just mentioned with the whole equating, you know, how Goblin looks. Like, at one point, like, people would draw him like he was uh, the Joker. You look at the uh, original costume design of what Green Goblin was going to look like in the uh, 2002 Sam Raimi Spider-Man. They very much borrow that, you know, like right down to the chin and the nose, you know? Yeah, I wonder if that's why they changed it to that more like Power Rangers helmet. But, uh, you know, I love that movie so much, I'm not going to hold it against it. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, my favorite uh, quote unquote grievance people have had over the years for the uh, Raimi movie is when uh, Goblin and Spidey are fighting in that uh, back alley and somebody goes, it looks like they're just playing with action figures, like two little toys talking with each other, and their their mouths aren't moving. I'm like, yeah, I could see that. Oh. But that's the <laughs> yeah. fun of those movies, to be completely honest. Well, I think it was everyone was so excited that Willem Dafoe got cast, and you're like, oh, yeah, of course, look at his face. And then you don't get to see his face. <laughs> right. I think that's why I, at least I was like, come on, just put some green on his face and let him go. It's it's like the legendary misdirection in uh, film, and that's why like I'm glad when they did Spider-Man No Way Home, they took the mask off of him. Because, the man, yeah, the man can 110% emote, like, and he does a gangbusters job doing it, especially there's that one, uh, the shot of him in a car just, like, smiling, cracking up and going insane, and it's it's very much Willem. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun to see him come back. Now, also in regards to just the last time we talked, we, we ended up talking off mic, I believe, for, like, half an hour afterwards, just talking about, you know, your love of comics and whatnot, and... How has your collection progressed since? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I have uh, been working on a few other comic book adaptation property stuff that I can't really talk about, but I can say that I use that as an excuse to buy every back issue of that character, mm. which has become uh, a little out of control for me. Uh, I like to do my quote-unquote research. Um, but uh, it's, it's continued to grow, you know. I think... Um, now that cons are, are sort of back, I've been able to do more back issue hunting, which is my favorite thing in the world to do, just kind of go through those dollar bins. I even did that uh, at uh, a Comic-Con. There's, you know, there's only a few left who actually sell dollar books there, but I um, was able to fill in some holes. I was doing that Mark Grunewald panel, so I was like, oh, I'll get some caps while I'm here, selling some of those. And uh, Yeah, and I'm still reading every week new stuff, uh, probably around like you know, 12 books a week. I'm a, I'm a Wednesday warrior, for sure. It's funny you mentioned the uh, Grunwald run, though. That gave me the incentive to uh, start downloading it on Marvel Unlimited. So looking forward to finally jumping in on that. It's good. It's good. It's, there's some really wild ideas, but like he's, he does like the Claremont thing. There's some real long-form storytelling, you know, with especially how he introduces U.S. Agent and, and how that whole story plays out. And Don't forget uh, D-Man. Society stuff. It's really cool. Don't forget D-Man. Oh, D-Man, yeah. The introduction of D-Man. Uh, a huge wrestler, I believe, at the time in the comics. And also, for some reason, has Wolverine's uh, hat and uh, Daredevil's uh, old costume. Because why not? I think I think it, they explain it, like that he found it or he bought it off the guy who made the original. To some, to some, there is like an in-universe explanation for why he has like a borrowed costume. Got tossed in the garbage, maybe? Like the Spider-Man one? Or No, can't yeah. be. I think he was he did do the dumpster stuff until later. Oh. At this point, he's a very wealthy uh, wrestler, but 
things don't go well for D-Man later in the Marvel Universe. I was unaware of the whole that wrestling connection into comics. I've found out in a, the different episodes when Peter's gotten wrestlers on what the affinity is and such the the parallel lines that run between comics and wrestling and, and like uh, okay sure why not it's like a paradox two boats side by yeah, side yeah mm-hmm. they're like weirdly connected well i always the thing joined a wrestling league too he has like a lot of wrestling stories there's that really awesome marvel team up one where he has to wrestle or box for the fate of the universe and he won't stay down I forgot what that comic was, but it's, it was recommended to me by this other podcast, and I read it. It's like one of the greatest thing stories ever. It's like Marvel Team Up Annual, and it's like it's just the best, the best the thing ever is. All right, so now so I'm it's looking. a team. So Peter's going to look that up because yeah. he can. But you're saying it's yeah. in a, it's in a team up. Um, okay, oh, the Marvel, Marvel Team Up, and it's like him. There's like it's like an elder god, like the collector, but I forgot it's his brother, who the gardener starts boxing. Boxing all the heroes, not the gardener. It's one other guy who likes to fight people. And uh, uh, yes, so yes, then the yes. Thing, yeah, he has that like one line where he's like, the guy's like, "Why don't you stay down?" And he's like, "I'm too stupid and ugly to ever do that." Or I don't know, some great line. I'm and he's it somewhat all. dark skin, great... maybe blue skinned. Yeah. Uh, this this uh, this warrior. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's like, he's basically like a, a the wrestling brother of all the collector and all those guys. Mm-hmm. Marvel 2 and 1 annual. I'm seeing him on the cover. Uh, is Colossus on the cover? Yes. All right. Yeah, it's got uh, Sas- our good old friend Sasquatch. Marvel annual, uh, Marvel 2 and 1 annual, volume 1, number 7. Mm-hmm. It's a treat. I was, yeah, there's a podcast I was doing obsessed with it, and then I went and sought it out, and I was like, yes, this lived up to the hype. This is, if you love the thing, this is a great thing story. We are, we are big fans of uh, the thing and his uh, wacky misadventures alongside Reed Richards. Johnny Storm and Foozy. Yes, I got to, to write him for the one of the first Spider Bot comic I did, uh, which is you know it's aimed at slightly younger um, readers because it's the bots that are on the ride um, at at uh, Avengers Campus and stuff, and it's their own stories. But obviously, you know, Peter sending them on missions and stuff. So he sends them to get a sandwich for uh, for Mary Jane's favorite deli, and the thing gets the last one, and it ended up being a, a fun little romp. Uh, the thing versus spider bots fighting over a deli sandwich, which is the most New York comic I could write. <laughs> Just throw a bacon, egg, and cheese, and it'll, it'll be a, a hoot. Oh, that's the one they're fighting over. <laughs> <laughs> Yummy, too. <laughs> and by the way, I looked up on uh, Marvel Unlimited. They only have the first three years of uh, Marvel 2 and 1 annual. So Ooh. guess I know what I'm looking so for I'm... this weekend at Terrificon. There you go. Something to hunt for. <laughs> Which yes, I'm adding to the master list right now as we speak. You can't put it. You can't look for it in my basement because it's it's there. Oh, I was that in. That whole run is is really wild. Mm-hmm. That Marvel team up stuff. Like, if you want some crazy stories, there was like I think there's one where him and Ghost Rider travel back and see the birth of Christ. Like, there's there's some interesting stuff done. I don't think anyone's paying attention to that book when it was coming out. Uh, that Marvel team up does. Now, in regards to also just other books that you've been on the hunt for, like what is what is your holy grail book right now? Well, it's kind of funny. It's like I've I've collected um, basically an entire run of Uncanny, and then all the spinoffs. You know, uh, X Factor, X Force. I mean, I got a full run that I wrote, except for uh, the original X Men number one. You know, nineteen sixty three. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not like kind of in any hurry to buy it. I like having one left 
out there that one day, you know, they'll be my rosebud. Um, but uh, um, I, I like to complete runs for sure, you know, whether it's a creator on a book, um, you know, things that I feel like are, are kind of historically significant or, or if it's a, a character, like I said, I'm working on, I'll, I'll go out and buy, you know, all their individual books or team books or, um, you know, for fun, I, I wanted to reread Suicide Squad. And I, as I was reading it, I was like, this is incredible. Uh, I need to own this Ostrander run. So I went and completed that. And, you know, I think it's, it's mostly just the stuff that really influenced me growing up. Or, you know, obviously I'd love to put together a Fantastic Four run, but that'll take forever and be very expensive so you know i don't i don't mind the journey there i'll buy a few here and there as i go and in regards to, you know I, I think the idea of like could you imagine someone out there is like on the hunt for a series and it's like the one book is the easiest one to get yet somehow you still can't come across it every single time like imagine being like a young blood fan and you can't find number one just over and over just yeah. everything but that one and it's, it's kind of funny too because looking into comics all these times and you end up looking for like a book and it takes you forever to find it. And then immediately afterwards, you see it a hundred <laughs> times afterwards in your hunt. Oh, always. Or you paid, you know, three or $4 more than you know it's worth. And then you see it in a dollar bin five minutes later. That happens to me all the time for sure. And is there like a protocol where you have to like, do you walk up to the vendor after it's like, uh, so it turns out I own this book already, but better go, you know, get rid of it. And then you go run over yeah, the other one. I eat it. I think that's the game, you know. <laughs> uh, my fault for not looking at every box first and making the decision. Eddie, has so, that happened to you? Uh, yeah. Those very much have happened to me. You know, you, you've been on, it's been on your list, whatever title it is. You just need one more issue. You finally see it, and it's more than you want to pay. And then you see it again, and it's cheaper. Likewise, in my case, a couple of times the, the exact opposite has happened. You know, and I've gotten another copy that I know is more valuable than I wound up getting it for, like I did find in a dollar bin, whether it was the... And then it's an expensive book afterwards? Well, oh, no. Oh, poor Eddie, what a, what a, no, what a happened, misfortunate thing. That's happened in a good, happy way, too. And I'm like, oh, this is worth something. Well, I'm glad I have it and got it back in the day for 50 cents or whatever. Cover price. I, I use an app now, which helps, because before that, when I was first putting together X-Men, I would buy, like, the same random... And I was like an Outback Sylvester issue, you know, kept popping up. And I kept forgetting I had it. And then when I went to sort everything, I was like, why do I have six copies of this one issue of <laughs> X-Men? Like, yeah, I had some kind of, like, blind spot for that issue for some reason. I'm like, I don't think I have this one. I should pick this up. Are you one of those people that will buy one of the same book over and over and over on purpose? Because I know there are people, like, that will specifically, like, they'll go after one book of one kind just over and over and over. Because I know there's a guy like trying to track down every single copy of a Michael Golden Doctor Strange book, and like he's trying to get every copy known in existence because he's a jackass. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I um, thank goodness. I really double up. I think you know I'm I to me it's like kind of I just want to own that piece of history. So I don't even care sometimes if the books are in rough shape, which is kind of like I want to have that that thing that came out back back then, you know. Um, but the only times I've ever kind of doubled up is I have a, a spinner rack in my office. Um, so there's like a few, oh, this is, you know, this is one of my favorite Bill Sienkiewicz New Mutant comics. I'm going to have it there, you know, on display as well as in a box somewhere with the with the collection. So that's that's usually the only times I'll, I'll double up. My my first intentional, I've said it before, on a, on a comic was Alpha Flight number one. 
because of John Byrne. And I said, yeah, I'm going to get yeah. two copies. And I did that also with the uh, the X-Men New Mutants. I'm sorry, the X-Men Teen Titans crossover. Mm -hmm. Those were intentional. A lot of other ones have not been. And it was enough to have paid, I don't know, $10 for an issue of, let's say, Iron Man 96 or 93. And I got it again for another 5 bucks. And like, what am I doing here? What's going on? In case one breaks down, obviously. I suppose... Yeah. Alpha Flight was the first full run I ever put together. Um, if you are looking to just be a completist, that is one of the few books that, you know, you're not going to spend a fortune uh, putting together 130 issues of. Yep. It's just funny because I have the uh, issues of Alpha Flight that tied in with the uh, Incredible Hulk uh, Crossroads story, and that was mm -hmm. the biggest pain in the ass to get. Like, I, I went uh, East Coast Comic Con weekend 2019, the year before the world ended, and, like, trying to hunt that one issue down. Like, every single vendor. And, like, they thought I was, like, you know, trying to, like, speculate or something. Like, oh, the only reason they want it is because it's, like, going for a lot of money. Like, no, I'm that psychopath who wants to read this whole story in full. And yeah. I can't find it anywhere. And they're like, you know, Alpha Flight's going to be a movie soon. I'm like, sure it is. And then, you know, I just walk <laughs> off to the next vendor. Uh, yeah, hey, that's the market now. It's crazy where it's, like, as, as everyone in the back, I mean, I know back issues in general are, are more popular than they've ever been. And um, there's all this speculation like, oh, you know, Frogman's going to be in She-Hulk. Let's buy a thousand copies and charge. <laughs> you know, that comic, I guarantee you the first appearance of Frogman, you could have picked up for under $5 uh, anywhere. And now it's going to be, you're going to see it at cons for like $40. It's it's the same way too with the uh, Marvel Legends figures. Whenever you see like a show is about to come out, they'll have the figure go for a boatload of cash, and it's like th this was warming pegs, you know, next to uh, Spy Ma uh, Spy Master, who is my go-to one. By the way, I will always make fun of Spy Master because I love hearing the uh, the diehard Marvel Legends comic figure fans go on saying, "We need more of the uh, more obscure characters. No one wants to buy Spider Man." As every single time a Spider-Man figure comes out, it instantly sells out and is sold for eighty to one hundred and twenty dollars. So whenever I yeah. think of, we need more comic characters, more obscure ones. I'm like, how's that Spy Master working out for you? It's keeping that peg so hot it burnt off. <laughs> so, <laughs> poor, poor Spy Master. But it, it's funny too because like so many of these characters, you know, the more popular, yeah, obviously, you'll see a character just over and over and over. But it's that it's that staying power. Mm -hmm. and that's the end Absolutely. of my TED talk. Mm -hmm. So now, in regards to minor uh, threats, when is that getting released in stores? So uh, there's one more week left to order it uh, for the first issue, uh, and then it's the, that's the final order cutoff is, is August first, and then uh, the first issue comes out August twenty fourth, um, and it's a four issue series that are. Um, kind of oversized issues. They're about like 28 pages each. So it's kind of actually feels more like a five issue series. You just get more mm. more pages per issue. Um, and uh, that's the the first book. And you know we're hoping if it does well, we'll we'll get to do more. We have a lot of stories left to tell. So that is yeah. I was going to say once you get through with this one, if it's called for, if it does well, you you'll be ready to uh, get it right into production. Oh yeah, we're we're rearing to go. I mean, it, it, the more you you know, we we've been doing press and stuff for it. You, again, you, these ideas keep popping up out of conversations, and we're like, "Ooh, write that down." Oh, that's good. Oh, I want to, you know. And, and we also, I think, it's just such a, a fleshed out world, um, you know, because we're obviously, you know, telling a story in a world that's that's existed in its in its 
universe for you know at least 60 years of comic history in our, our fictional world you know there's like oh i want to come back to that character i want to see how that that happened and i think there's what's really cool scott's put in a lot of detail to kind of suggest all these other stories um in just kind of side stuff when the panel is happening you know even though we're not following that story because so really you know what the genesis of this the, the book is is that there's a giant kind of Batman Joker-esque story playing out but we're not following that we're following the little guys who have their own plan you know so that's kind of happening on the fringe pages of, of the comic and it's seeing it from the little guy's perspective so even you know in those regards there's a whole universe of history that's happened in the in this world that we haven't seen yet but you're only just seeing it from the the d-list uh, super villain point of view all right so before we go jordan first off thank you as always thank you for having me this is so fun to get to just uh geek out with you i rarely get to talk about back issue hunting uh <laughs> that was a blast <laughs> well where does that put you if we didn't talk about it the last time we had john jordan where does that put you in terms of your collection in terms of how many approximately would you say you have comics? Oh, God. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, I can tell you by uh, sheds, storage units. Or, um, <laughs> I don't know. Long boxes, uh, I you know. Long boxes, I got to be, I don't know, I got to be getting around 60, 70 long boxes. Probably. I'm right there with you, I believe. Yeah, I'm in that neighborhood. <laughs> getting expensive uh you're california now just can you like curate it and like get rid of some stuff and i was like i would love to do that but that involves me going through every comic i own um and that would be like a six month uh uh journey uh that i can't really do right you'd have to go on a sabbatical nobody would hear or see you and just like he's still alive he's still he's on box 28 of 75 or whatever you know yeah he's living in a storage unit uh yeah yeah now, before we go, also, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Uh, you can find me at, at Bloom Jordan on Twitter and Instagram, um, and I'm always happy to, uh, to talk comics. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Jordan Bloom. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! <laughs>